This is the On The Banks podcast. Follow us on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation. Now, here's your host, Lance Glenn. Hello, hello, hello. I'm, of course, your host, Lance Glenn. And this is episode five of the On The Banks podcast. If you don't already, you can follow me on Twitter at Lance underscore G11. And you can follow On The Banks on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation. Later in the podcast, we will talk with college basketball writer for the Asbury Park Press and really the man who knows more about NJ and Rutgers hoops than basically everybody, Jerry Carino. But first, I want to address the recent scandal hitting the Rutgers football team. About a week ago, Keith Sargent of NJ.com posted that safety KJ Gray and linebacker Brendan DeVera were dismissed from the team due to a violation of team rules. A few days later, Sargent reported that several Rutgers football players are under investigation for fraudulent use of credit cards. He also went on to say that the investigation could involve as many as eight players. Now, what does this mean for the program going forward? Well, you know, looking at it, on the field, to start, Rutgers now loses their starting safety in gray and the player who is ascending up the depth chart at linebacker in Devera. While we still do not know any other players involved in this investigation, the depth at those same positions or others could also take a hit when those names are released. But off the field, this puts Rutgers back in the national spotlight for reasons that obviously burden the program and the athletic department as a whole. However, the future perception of this football program will depend largely, I think, on how the current administration ultimately handles this scandal. Considering the former administration did not handle theirs necessarily so well, it's imperative that the current deal with this swiftly and smartly. So far, it seems that Chris Ash has, and his staff, have handled this investigation really as well as they could for now, with, with all the names being released and everything that the, that, the, that the fans know. It seems like he's handled it as well as he could so far. From what we know, it seems to me that as soon as Ash found out about this, he put his foot down and ultimately brought consequences. That in itself, just bringing those consequences right away, is a big step in making sure that this program under Chris Ash maintains a reputation of being one that does not allow issues like these to arise, and if they do arise, a program that immediately squashes these issues. However, and I think this is where the, you know, the big what-ifs happen, you know, these names of other players potentially involved have obviously not been released, and you'd assume that soon, sooner rather than later at least, they'd come out, and these names will be released. What does Ash do when these names come out you know, this will be his biggest move, in my opinion, that he's had to make here at Rutgers. Bigger than, you know, choosing a quarterback, bigger than choosing an offensive coordinator. This is his biggest move so far at Rutgers. One, who are the players? Two, what was their involvement in this investigation? And ultimately, the third question, what will their future be with this team? These are the questions I think that need to be answered. And as soon as the first two are, as soon as we know who the players are, and what their involvement was, then the big decision will have to be made by Chris Ash. What will these players' futures be, ultimately, with Rutgers football? Now, let's talk to the reporters. Here's your host, Lance Glenn. Few, if any, know Rutgers and NJ Hoops as well as this man, and you can follow him on Twitter at NJ Hoops Haven. I am now pleased to be joined by Jerry Carino. Jerry, thanks so much for coming on the On the Banks podcast. How are you? 
I'm doing great, Lance. Two months and one week until college basketball practice starts, and believe me, I'm counting the days. Hey, I mean, aren't we all? Look, especially the way Rutgers ended last season, you know, we're all counting the days till we see Coach Peichel in year number three and the team that he puts out there come game one. And let's, you know, let's start with last season. And with it came, you know, so many ups and downs. You know, Seton Hall, uh, the Big Ten tournament, obviously, but then the downs in Stony Brook and Hartford and a couple of blown opportunities uh, at the rack in Big Ten play. You know, it was only year two under Coach Peichel. And, and going into it, you know, fans were just looking for progress and improvement after year one. But to you, with everything that happened, how much improvement and progress did this program show last season? Well, slowly you're starting to see the staff put its imprint on the way Rutgers is playing. So, for example, Corey Sanders. I know he's not here anymore, and I'll get to him more in a minute. But Corey Sanders played a much more in-control, um, team-oriented, consistently defended well, uh, brand of, of um, basketball last year, and that's you know a direct response to the staff's coaching. So you saw a new guy in Geo Baker who was a high IQ, um, sort of smart, uh, savvy beyond his years guy who could do a lot of different things. Versatile guard. That's the kind of mold that the staff wants. So you saw glimpses of what they're trying to put together, the foundation they're trying to lay. I think on the whole, they were a little disappointed in the results, uh, which is understandable considering they played a, a soft schedule. Uh, the Big Ten was way down last year. So really, in the end, you saw kind of what last year's team could have done and didn't do. So I would say it was, you know, Michael said it before, I would say it was a step forward, a step back type of year. Uh, and that's what you're going to get early in these regimes when you're really starting from scratch. And, you know, you mentioned it going into the season. Corey Sanders, a guy who's obviously not there anymore, he deciding to go pro, didn't get drafted, still waiting to see what his future holds. But with Corey, do you believe there is someone on the team, and you may have mentioned him just now in Geo Baker, that can take over like Corey did? Or do you think, you know, replacing Corey, it'll need to be more of a team-oriented approach where they're going to need, you know, Geo and maybe a couple other players to really make up for the scoring load? That's a good question. So, first of all, let's discuss about Sanders, and that is, I want to just defy this notion that's kind of out there that that the staff is happy to move on without Sanders and that you know Rutgers is better off without him. I think that's total falsehood. Um, Sanders had come a long way. They invested. They had invested a lot of time in him. Uh, they had really started to get on the same page with him, and he was really starting to come around as an elite player. And so you know, Pykel and his coaches they really wanted Sanders to stay, and they they tried hard to convince him to stay. They, they were very disappointed that he left. And, you know, Rutgers would have been much better with him this year. Now, the, the second part of your question is, can, can Geo Baker replace Corey? You know, ideally, they would have had Geo Baker and Corey playing together again with Montez Mathis as a third guard, uh, being able to apprentice under these guys. And that would have been a, a, a Big Ten quality backcourt. But you don't have that. So standard, uh, Baker's a different type of player. I do think he could replace Sanders' production. Uh, you know, I think he'll be, he could even go do better in terms of assists, ball sharing. Uh, I think he could replace the scoring. Corey's defense was very, very good, but Geo does have the capacity to perhaps do that. Might be a year away from getting to that point. Um, the question is, can, he, can Geo take over games with pure the combination of will and athleticism that Corey had, which was at an elite level of athleticism, can Gio just take over game? Uh, I don't. We don't know that yet. We'll have to see it. 
it's a big difference for Gio now having the ball in his hands, having defenses tilt the floor against him, which is what Corey had to deal with. So how will Gio flourish under those circumstances? I'm sure he'll handle it well. But there could be some growing pains for him in that being the guy in the backcourt. So I do think he could replace Corey's production. Will he win four games by himself? I, I don't know. That's a lot to ask, and he'll certainly have an adjustment when he's the top guy on the opponent's scouting report. It'll certainly be interesting, and I think that's one of the, the keys for Rutgers, obviously, going forward into the new season. And, you know, look, Gio had a had a great freshman season. Going into his sophomore year now, you know, you mentioned it, doesn't really have the luxury. You know, no, Corey Sanders isn't there anymore. He can't concede to Corey if those off nights do arise for Gio. Corey's not there to carry the team and, you know, win games by himself. But still, there's going to be, you know, big expectations on Geo Baker coming into next season. You know, do you think fans are right to put those expectations, you know, considering he's only going into his sophomore year, only his second year in the Big Ten? Or, you know, you may have answered in your last question, you know, do you see him being that person that could potentially carry a team to, you know, maybe a couple wins? What I would say is this. Fans should be really excited about Baker because I think he's the whole package. His head, the attitude, uh, the IQ, the, the skill set, he's the whole package. However, that's in a big picture sense. In year two as a sophomore, you've got to expect some more growing pains, especially since he's now going to be the point guard. You know, he's the primary ball handler this year. Peichel's pretty much said it. So he's going to have the ball in his hands all the time. He didn't have that last year. He played off the ball largely, although he did show a nice, um, a nice ability to find teammates and set teammates up uh, and make other players around him better. He's doing that in a full-time capacity this year. So, I mean, that's a big adjustment on a high major level. So I would expect, yes, Gio Baker to be, by the time his career at Rutgers is done, to be a fantastic player who will fans will treasure having him as a face-of-the-program type of guy. But in the short term, you have to expect some growing pains this year between, like I said, about the bullseye on him and also playing point guard full-time with the Sun. It's a lot to ask. So this is a transition year for Gio, but he will be very good. But you got to give him a little room to grow, and I think that's kind of the theme for this whole team, Lance. And, you know, so much has been made about, you know, Corey Sanders deciding to go pro and not coming back to Rutgers. But I think two other huge losses, two that might even, you know, when combined might even trump the loss of Corey are the losses of Deshaun Freeman and Mike Williams. You know, they both provided scoring, but, you know, they were both catalysts for, you know, Rutgers on the boards defensively and, of course, with their leadership as well. Uh, with all the intangibles they brought, just how big are their losses? Could, as I mentioned before, could they, you know, be as equal or even bigger than, you know, the loss of Sanders when looking back on it? No, I don't think so. I think Sanders will be the big loss because he was he was coming into his own as an all-Big Ten guard. Uh, so, no. But, the but you know, Mike Williams, who I love, love Mike, brought a lot of intangibles. But I feel like Eugene Omarui is, is ready to take that intangible leadership guy role as a junior for the next two years. This will be his team as far as leadership goes. He's the vocal guy. He's the run-through-a-brick-wall, follow-me type of guy. So I think he'll be able to replace – Mike in that sense. Uh, and he's also gotten a lot better as a player, which I'll get to. Uh, as far as Deshaun, okay, so Deshaun had, you know, a lot of flaws in his game, which people obviously noted. Um, you know, he forced it a lot. But also, he was basically the only focal point, the only guy in that front quarter could finish. So, you know, there was a lot of weight in his shoulders. He's playing a little out of position. But was Deshaun Freeman a, a great forward for Rutgers? No, but is there anyone ready to just fill his shoes? I'm not sure about that. Omarui is a different type of player, um, and 
you know, Rutgers front court's got a lot of questions. So I do think they'll miss Freeman. They'll miss his, you know, his rebounding, his presence, his, his, uh, you know, his ability to finish. Um, but I don't, I don't think it's anywhere near as big as the loss of Sanders. So they've lost some things, but um, they're bringing some people in who will help replace some of those things. That doesn't necessarily equate to a step forward, though, because the schedule got harder, which we'll get into. But uh, Sanders still remains the biggest loss to me. But, you know, this is, this is why this is a transition year. A lot of new faces. I had to have half the team pointed out to me when I saw them look <laughs> out recently. I didn't know who some of these guys were, you know, the faces. So there's a lot of new faces, and there's going to be some growing pains, and that's kind of really the theme of this year. And, you know, you talked about Eugene Omarugi in your last answer, and, look, I think took big steps forward last season. You know, offensively, against Seton Hall, I think he had around, what, 22 points, you know, really led the way. Same thing against with Florida State. You know, now as a captain, you mentioned the leadership, too, alongside Shaq Dorson. It's kind of his team now, you know, leadership sense. How much better, though, you know, offensively and in his game, can Eugene Omari be? Because we saw big steps in his sophomore year, but can he take even bigger steps going now into his junior season? Well, let's put it to you this way. I saw the team work out last summer, like late June, and I, I, this is summer of 2017. And I knew immediately, I said, wow, Omarui's gotten a lot better. And I asked, you know, the staff about it, and they said he's our most improved player this offseason. And then I saw the team work out two weeks ago, um, and – thought to myself, man, he's, he's really good. And again, you know, Michael and the staff told me that he's our most improved player again. So Omarui went from a little role player as a freshman to a solid, a very solid contributor who has flashes of being their best front court player as a junior, as a sophomore. And this year he's going to be the guy in the front court. So you have a front court caliber, a Big Ten caliber front court player, and a guy who can play different positions the three, the four, uh, who can guard different players. So, yeah, he's, he's a guy to be really excited about. Um, you know, with him and him and Geo Baker are going to be the building blocks from this team inside and outside the next couple of years. And this would be another leap forward for him. And I, think, I do think this will be a great breakout year for him as a, I don't want to say all Big Ten forward, but a guy who is moving in that direction. And, you know, Look, we, the returning pieces, Eugenio Marie, Gio Baker, uh, you know, Issa Chom is obviously a big one, Mamadou Ducour, another as well as others. But, you know, they brought in uh, Steve Peichel and his staff, a four-man recruiting class, as well as now Miles Johnson coming off his red shirt and Peter Kiss, who's now eligible. You know, just looking at these, I guess, six new players coming into the program, Shaq Carter and Miles Johnson specifically, you know, you talked about how they're going to need to replace Deshaun Freeman down low. You think these guys can be the two that end up replacing Deshaun Freeman in his production offensively? So I, I'll, I'll tell you, when I went to see them work out, before we get into those two guys, and I'll get into them, but, you know, I, I, I can put things together based on bits and pieces I hear. Um, the, the names I've heard the most that, the, that seem to be have really intrigued the staff so far, um, you know, Omar Rui, like I mentioned, making a big leap. Um, Ron Harper, who's a freshman who's much better than he was regarded by the recruiting rankings in high school, uh, who they think is really ready to contribute right away. Maybe a lot of people thought he would be in the background this year. Peter Kiss, who they raved about, who I watched the entire workout, who I think is going to be a very good factor for them. Um, and so those were the guys who they, you know, really seemed to be super excited about. And the other guy is Taylor McConnell, who um, was hurt. I didn't, you know, he's hurt. I didn't see him work out, but, but he very much surprised them with his ability and versatility. 
much more ready to help than maybe they thought originally. He was a big surprise for the staff when he showed up on campus, uh, you know, at the start of summer, summer session one. So those are the guys I'm kind of getting the vibe about, the buzz about. Now, there's been a lot of talk about, about Miles Johnson, how good of a passer he is. That will help. That was obviously something Deshaun Freeman didn't do at all. Um, so that should help them. Uh, his body is obviously in better shape than it was a year ago. Um, as far as him, you know, shooting, finishing, being able to withstand the banging of the Big Ten season, nobody knows. Uh, so, and Shaq Carter is a mystery. Uh, I mean, he's obviously physically, he's an imposing guy. You know, he certainly physically can take, seem to take Freeman's place as a presence, but, but I mean, Deshaun Freeman was a junior college All-American. I mean, he was, when Rutgers got him, he was the top junior college front court recruit available. So, I mean, Shaq Carter was a role player on his junior college team. Now, granted, a very good team. But there's a big difference in going from junior college to, to Big Ten basketball. And if Deshaun Freeman was a junior college superstar who was like an adequate Big Ten forward, Shaq Carter's going to have a transition year ahead of him. So I don't know that he alone is going to be able to place those numbers and, and that kind of presence. Together, can those two guys do it? I don't know. I, I don't know the answer to that. I think that's one of the big questions this team faces is, what do you have in your front court aside from – Eugene Omarui, who can stand in there on a Big Ten level, nobody knows the answer to that. And that's going to be, you know, one of the things that determines how well the team does this season. You know, it was interesting just now. You were mentioning, you know, the names that the staff were really excited about. You know, you hit on Ron Harper, uh, Caleb McConnell, Peter Kiss. But one name you didn't hit on was Montez Mathis. And, you know, he's a guy, obviously, a top 100 guy who the fans like they're going to have lofty expectations for Gio. Right when he committed, fans already had big expectations for Montez Mathis. What do you think realistically fans can expect from him, you know, just coming in as a freshman? You know, what what kind of production do you think he can bring to this team next season? I think if he, if he has a good freshman year, he'll, he'll do what he'll be able to contribute kind of what Baker did last year. Um, so, uh, you know, Montez is going to get plenty of opportunities. I'm sure he's going to start, uh, barring something unforeseen. I'm sure he'll start alongside Gio. He'll be, you know, the sidekick like Gio was for Corey last year. And so he'll have opportunities. And, you know, Peichel, to his credit, he let Gio play through growing pain, slump, freshman wall. Um, and so you're going to get that with Mathis. So if he's similar type production, I think Gio was a narrowly mismaking all, all Big Ten freshmen. He was certainly one of the ten best freshmen in the league. Um, you could get that from, from Mathis. Um you know, can he, can he shoot the ball from the outside at a high level consistently? That's what we don't know. That's really what Rutgers needs the most. Uh, we don't know the answer to that. I think his reputation was more of a scorer and a slasher uh, than just a pure spot-up shooter like a guy like Andre Hyatt, who they're recruiting. We'll get into him. But, but uh, So we don't know how well he's going to shoot, but he's going to get every opportunity. He certainly comes in with a terrific pedigree. And... Uh, you know, I don't want to say the staff isn't excited about him. They are. But I'm just telling you the names that I heard, and maybe these are the people who surprised him the most. These are the names that I heard. And I think there's going to be ups and downs for Mathis. Like, he's going to be an All-American as a freshman? No. Is he going to be maybe like Baker, who hits the wall, who has some moments, um, you know, who contributes? I think that's kind of the goal for, for him. And those two guys, it'll be fun to see them grow together. But there's going to be, you know, learning learning curve for him, no doubt. And, you know, looking back at, you know, before, prior to last season, so two off seasons ago, you know, Pico played the long game, brought in a guy who had to sit out and Peter Kiss, the transfer from Quinnipiac. And, you know, so far, and you mentioned it as well, people have raved about Peter Kiss, uh, you know, his offensive ability, you know, his, his presence on the floor. 
how good could Peter Kiss be? He hasn't played, obviously, in the last year, but obviously practiced with the team uh, last season. How good can Peter Kiss be, and how uh, big of a boost can he provide Rutgers now being eligible? So I watched him because I had heard a lot about him, and the staff was high on him, and other people who I trust were high on his development. I watched him the most out of everybody through the workout I saw. And he just, the guy, he just, you know, I saw him practice last year too, but he just knows how to play. He has a nose for the basket. He knows how to pass. He, know, he knows how to handle. I mean, he's just a, he know the game is just comes to him, you know. It's one of those things where it's hard to really quantify. And maybe it won't show up on a stat sheet, you know, in bold letters. But the feeling is that Kiss can get things done. And so that's the kind of guy you need. So I see him this year as first guard off the bench, um, utility type of role. He, I will, he will definitely be a go-to free throw shooter. Uh, I watched him make, I don't know how many free throws in a row, but you know, they shot a lot of free throws in the workout I saw. And he was making well over 90% all net. Um, and so he's going to be a guy who's on the floor maybe at the end of games to shoot free throws. Um, so I, I do think he didn't, he didn't shoot the three particularly well in the um, at Quinnipiac, so there's no reason to think that he'll do that here. But, uh, but he, I think he's going to help them. I think he knows how to score. He'll be tough and versatile where he can maybe handle the ball if he has to. He can play off the ball. He can maybe fill in at wing if he has to for a little bit against smaller teams. Um, so he's going to help them. There's no doubt he's going to be one of the first guys off the bench, and he's going to score some points. So he will be a net positive this year. All right, and let's, you know, you mentioned it earlier. Let's talk about scheduling. And obviously – uh, it's been no secret the last two seasons the the non-conference schedule has been filled with I guess you could say less than mediocre uh, opponents less than average opponents now however and kind of with the help of the Gavit games and ACC Big Ten Challenge you know and obviously playing Seton Hall every year Seton Hall's on the schedule St. John's is on the schedule this season Miami's going to be on the schedule again so it seems like Rutgers is amping up the opponent they're going to play this season and look you know, obviously, this season, you mentioned earlier, might be a little bit of a learning year for this team. So with the more difficult schedule, how much is that going to benefit the team down the road, even if the results uh, in the short term in the short term aren't as good as they have been in previous out-of-conference schedules? So, great point. I'm a big schedule guy. As anyone who follows me knows, I harp on these schedules, okay? And so, uh, and you also, it should be noted that they're adding two more Big Ten games. So... You know, they're playing, they're playing 20 Big Ten games. Uh, they're playing, you know, like you said, uh, a bunch of high majors, several of them on the road. So this is a significantly tougher schedule than they face. And it's going to hurt and it's going to help. So I'm of the school of you play up, you benefit from that at some point. Okay, that, whether it's this year, whether it's next year, guys will benefit from grinding through these tough games. Um, but they have to be able to handle losing and handle sometimes getting your butt kicked or even playing a great game and still losing because the team you played is good and you're on the road. You have to be able to mentally handle that. Like, it doesn't help you any to, to grind through a tough schedule if it freaks you out, which it does with a lot of players. They can't handle it. So you got to be able to handle that. So assuming these guys can handle that kind of grind of a schedule, I think it'll help them down the road. But I just find it hard to see them increasing their win total from last year. Given the uncertainties of the, you know, between the talent they lost, the uncertainties of all the new faces they have, the fact that I still don't know that they've upgraded the shooting significantly, um, and the schedule's a lot harder 
it's harder at a conference. It's harder in conference with the extra two games. So I don't see how that's going to add up to more wins. That doesn't mean there won't be a year where progress is made, you know, where a foundation's laid, where new guys start to find their roles, where chemistry's built. But to me, this is a longer-term project than this season. So I, I know you, when you mentioned on Twitter, you put promo that I was coming on, you mentioned the optimism about this season. I think Rutgers fans should be very optimistic about the direction of the program. But my caveat for that is you have to understand and be realistic about what this upcoming team could achieve. Could they surprise people? Sure. This is sports. That could happen. But realistically, it's hard to say, and I think this reflects the feeling of the staff. No one's going to come out and say it. But realistically, they may, they may win a few less games and in terms, you know, in, in, the, in the service of playing the long game and being taking a big step forward next year and the year after. And, you know, I think what's been so crucial for this team long-term, and, and you know, that's kind of the, the end goal, you know, long-term, look long-term. They did it with Peter Kiss. They're doing it with the schedule, look long-term. But what's been so big is that this coaching staff has stayed together every year Pykele's been here. And, you know, there were some thoughts that it could break up. Um, this past offseason, Jeff Capel took over at Pittsburgh. He was going to go after Brandon Knight. Brandon Knight elected to stay at Rutgers, remain with Coach Peichel. And just by having a consistent coaching staff on a year-in and year-out basis, how big has that been? How important has that been for the continued improvement and progress for this Rutgers uh, program? Well, the number one thing is Rutgers is playing really good defense. And a lot of that gets credited to Jay Young. So if you go to a Rutgers practice, you see Jay as an equal partner with, with Steve Peichel. And there are times when Jay's running the practice and Peichel's kind of overseeing things. Of course, he has the final say on things, but there are times when Jay is in charge of the practice and there are times when they're splitting it 50-50. But Jay is, is more than Peichel's right hand. He's kind of like Peichel's right side almost. And him being around, pushing the defense, teaching these guys, getting them to buy in to defensive concepts and execute them, is why Rutgers' defense has been consistently good for two years, and I have no doubt will be good again, even though you're teaching a lot of new guys how to do it, and you're going to miss Sanders defending at the point of attack. They're going to be good defensively as long as Jay's there. There's no doubt in my mind. So keeping him is a big part of this. Um, Brandon Knight is a guy who a lot of staff would like to have because, you know, he's their best recruiter, and he's a guy who who's a terrific guard and can coach guards. He had a lot to do with Corey's development, with Gio's development. So so uh, it's nice to keep the staff together. It's a little unusual, but that they'll all be together for a third year. But that's, that's definitely a positive. Uh, there's no doubt. And like I said, when you know every Rutgers fan can see one of these practices and see how much work Jay does to really give him the credit, a lot of credit for the ways Rutgers has become a much tougher opponent for teams the past couple of years. And, you know, one great thing about this staff is that they've done so well in, you know, connecting with in-state recruits and just connecting with recruits as a whole. And, you know, even if those in-state commits, uh, in-state recruits go elsewhere, it seems like the staff has just made great strides in recruiting New Jersey as a whole. And, you know, you look at this offseason in particular, bringing in, obviously, Ron Harper from Don Bosco and then gaining a commitment from 2019 star uh, point guard Paul Mulcahy, obviously, from Gil St. Bernard's. You know, from what you've seen, why has this staff been so successful early on in, you know, getting commitments, but even if they don't get those commitments, at least piquing the interest of in-state talent? Well, first of all, I love, I love Mulcahy. I think he's going to be fantastic. And that's another reason why I think this is really a two-year deal project here at this point, um, because you got to get him in here. He's a real point guard. He's a real pass first, make other guys better. He's a coach's dream. I mean, fans are going to absolutely love him. 
Um, so it's a terrific job. The main thing is it's not just about recruiting local guys, although they're doing that. It's about recruiting guys you can get. And I feel like the staff has done a good job of recruiting guys they can get. They've targeted guys. They're not targeting five stars. Yeah, they're going to tell you they're recruiting five stars, but Rutgers is not getting five-star guys, okay? They're going to re- target guys they can get. Their top priority, Montez Mathis, got him. Their top priority um, was Mulcahy, they got him. These are guys they can get. You know, now it's Hyatt. Will they get him? I don't know. It seems like they have a good chance. You know, Pitt is, a, I guess, a team to be concerned about. But it seems like they have a chance. They've gotten the guys they've targeted. So they've targeted the right types of guys who would actually go to Rutgers and not just list them as a courtesy or string them along until they jump to a bigger fish. Um, so that's been the main thing. But, of course, it's great to have, you know, local guys in the mix. It just enhances the state's excitement about the team. Uh, and so they've done a good job with that. I mean, they, they've obviously set their sights on recruiting locally. You know, Brandon being a Jersey guy, you know, helps. You know, Michael and uh, Jay were, you know, are Connecticut guys, New England guys. They're from the region. So that helps. The staff isn't coming in from another part of the country. You know, Carl Hobbs, too, with Connecticut roots. So this is a Northeast type of staff, so it makes sense that they they've know people in the area. But, yeah, it helps. But my big thing is they set their sights at the appropriate level. Now, they have to recruit more guys. I mean, it's good to get one guy a year who you've targeted, but they got to get more talent in here. Everybody knows. But to me, they've set their sights at the right level um, to get the guys who, will, who they can get. And that's important rather than just chasing. You know, two, two staff spent an incredible amount of time invested in Isaiah Briscoe. And he just wasn't coming here, you know. So put that elsewhere. Put that energy elsewhere, and Steve and his crew seem to be doing that. A couple more, Jerry, before we let you go. You know, the staff, Peichel has that one resource left uh, for at least this 2018 recruiting class, one scholarship remaining. Uh, he could roll it over. He could go after a grad transfer with that one scholarship remaining. Where have you heard or where do you think that, you know, that Rutgers staff is going to go? Obviously, Idre Hyatt is a name that a lot of people have mentioned. He's still taking a couple visits. But where do you think that staff is, is looking to go with that one scholarship left for either next season or 2019? Well, I think, first of all, let's, talk, let's just talk now because for the coming season, because who knows what, you know, there could be more than one scholarship for next spring. I mean, People leave, that's just college basketball. But for right now, they have one scholarship, and they're holding it for Hyatt. It's not a secret. There's a pure shooter. There's a guy who feels a dire need. Now, it should be known that Hyatt, Hyatt has basically made it clear to these schools that he's probably, if he goes to college and reclassifies and goes to college this fall, he's probably going to redshirt. It seems like he wants to redshirt. So, um, so he's not going to contribute this year, but it's a guy, you, obviously, you take, and you just redshirt him if that's what he wants because he can help you. So, Sites are set on, on, on Andre Hyatt, and if he doesn't come, I mean, they won't know until August, right, because he has visits lined up for a couple weeks. Uh, at that point, the chances of them bringing in someone else are very small. They only have a few weeks. But they've done it in the past. They've had late guys like Eugene and uh, C.J. Geddes come in late. But I think they'll probably just, if they don't get Hyatt, they'll probably roll it over at this point. And, uh, and then for the following year, I mean, who knows how many they'll have open. You know, Shaq is the only guy leaving, but... Uh, things change, and you know this is college basketball players turn over. But I think it's uh, Hyatt or bust or close, very close to that at this point for the coming year. And this is the, the other thing is this is a, a trend in college basketball now among the coaches I've dealt with. Do you want to have 13 scholarship guys? Do you want to have you know 13 guys eligible at once or 12 guys because Jacob Young will be sitting out? It's it's a question that can you can you keep all these guys happy? Can you can you get them all playing time? Can you develop them all? 
you know, and a lot of coaches would say, no, I'd rather have 10 or 11 guys, you know, that are, who are eligible to play and maybe a couple sit-out guys, a redshirt here, a transfer there, so I don't have to worry about the dynamics of, you know, the politics and the internal dynamics of playing 13 guys. That's the thing I've heard from a lot of coaches now. So, so I don't think – I think rolling things rolling something over in the old days, people were like, oh, you're going to roll it over now. Coaches would rather maybe play with 11 guys than 13. So um, it wouldn't surprise me at all if it's higher or bust at this point. And now, Jerry, one more before we let you go. You know, look, you, you hit on it earlier – this team, it could very well be a, a learning year. You know, it's it's kind of a two-year plan now looking forward for this team. You know, new on-court leadership. Um, they need to replace Corey Sanders and obviously adding new pieces to the puzzle. But with everything they've lost and gained uh, this offseason so far, and, you know, there still might be more uh, to gain, what are some realistic expectations for this team next season? You know, not necessarily in wins and losses, but just what can fans go in expecting to see from this team, you know, come game one of next year? The big thing is, to me, I'm going to, I already told you what I think wins and losses. I think they're going to win fewer games. But to me, it's not about that. It's about can, can they maintain the level of defense that they've played, which I think they will more or less because that's what they are now. Rutgers is now a defense-first program. That's their identity. Um, but the, the bigger thing is can, they, can we start to see some semblance of an offense? And we really haven't seen much of that. It's been Corey you know, taking things into his own hands. It's been Deshaun taking things into his own hands. Can we see an identity come about offensively um, with this group? Puggle's thing about the players he wants to put into his program, he said this about Brian Dewar and Jamil Warney, two of his more notable Stony Brook alums. He wants guys who live in the gym or gym rats. Maybe that wasn't always the case in the past. Can we see gym rats? And you'll know when you see it. You'll know a gym rat when you see a gym rat because that's someone who will make the extra pass, who will space properly, who will cut to the basket hard and properly, you know, who will set a screen at the right time. That's, can we see some of that? We, really, we have not really seen that out of Rutgers offensively. So can we see some semblance of, a, of chemistry on offense, of ball sharing, of some identity other than you know, trying to make a one-on-one play and hit a tough shot? And so that's kind of what I would look for this year. If you see that this year, if you see that coming along, then the future is going to be bright because the pieces are starting to come in. The defense, defensive ethos is going to be there. So that's what I'm looking for this year. And, you know, it'll be there sometimes maybe and sometimes it won't be because the team's so new. That's why there'll be some pains and a learning curve. But I think that's, that's what I'm looking for. And if you see that foundation laid, then, you know, 2019-2020, that season, is when you really start to set your sights on concrete goals in terms of wins. Again, you can follow him on Twitter at NJ Hoops Haven. Jerry, thank you so much for coming on. You know, you mentioned it uh, at the beginning of this interview, counting down the days, the weeks, and the months until uh, college basketball starts. I know I'm excited, and I know all our listeners are excited to see what Steve Pico brings now in year three uh, with the program under his control. So thank you so much for coming on, um, and I look forward to talking to you again soon. Now it's time for Lance's final take. Now, Jerry hit on so many things, so many key points for Rutgers going into next season one you know how are they going to replace Corey Sanders can Geo Baker do it himself or is it going to be a more team-oriented approach now look Geo there were times where he looked great last season hit a little bit of a wall but then really picked it up in the Big Ten tournament is he going to be able to replicate that and even take the next step going into his sophomore year 
Also, how are they going to replace low post scoring from Deshaun Freeman? You know, Miles Johnson, obviously, he's off his red shirt now. Shaq Carter coming in. Shaq Dorson's finally healthy. How are they going to be able to replace a guy like Deshaun Freeman? And then new pieces coming in, right? Peter Kiss, obviously someone who's been raved about. Jerry saw him and saw that, as he said, he's someone who can just get it done. He's a get-it-done type of player. Montez Mathis, Caleb McConnell, Ron Harper Jr., how are these guys also going to contribute? And are some of them, you know, a guy like Ron Harper Jr., is he going to contribute earlier than a lot of people originally expected him to contribute? And then look, the schedule. Jerry mentioned it. It's a lot more difficult than it has been in the previous two seasons. And because of that, it very well might be a learning year for the Scarlet Knight team. He thinks that, you know, the improvement in terms of overall wins and losses might not be there, but that progress still can be made. And I think that's what fans need to realize. Miami's going to be on the schedule. St. John's is going to be on the schedule. Obviously, Seton Hall. Two more Big Ten games. They're up to 20 Big Ten games now. It's going to be a much more difficult schedule than it has been in years past. And although wins and losses might not be there yet, and it still might be an under 500 season, progress is still being made. He said it time and time again. This is now a two-year plan for Steve Peichel. Peter Kiss, Geo Baker, Montez Mathis, Eugenio Marui, Issa Chom, Mamadou Dukor, you can go on and on and on. They'll all still be here in the 2019-2020 season. Jacob Young's going to be eligible then. Paul Mulcahy's going to be in here. You know, we still might see some more recruits, potentially Andre Hyatt uh, in the 2019-2020 uh, team. So this is a two-year build now for Steve Peichel. So I think while, yes, fans, you know, on the outside, they'll look at it, wins and losses. If they're under 500, well, what did it really mean? Was there really progress shown? And I think even if they're under 500 this year, if they play those close games but lose, you know, if they play those close games away but lose, that's progress. If they play close games at home but lose, that's still progress. Fans need to realize that progress isn't only in the wins and losses. And I think that if Rutgers, if you see that progress come, if you see, you know, the offense really come into form, the defense continue to, you know, uh, be the be the face of this program, uh, rebounding continue to be, you know, one of the things that this program really harps on, then I think you'll see progress. And I think, as I mentioned before in earlier podcasts, Steve Peichel is building a, a new program coming in, starting from scratch with new guys, new pieces, and those pieces are, are, are coming into place now. With recruits, with transfers, this team is starting to really take shape of what Steve Peichel wanted it to be. And I think because of that, this success is going to show in progress this year, but in years going forward, the success will really show in wins, losses here on the banks. Follow SB Nation on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation, and you can find out when our next podcast is debuting.